to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Would you grab it with me and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 17? Luke 17. And uh, we are, are taking just a few weeks uh, in the month of August. Normally we preach out of a series of messages, just kind of building one on the other. But um, these, uh, for the month of August, these are kind of a la carte uh, teachings, okay? This is um, just small bites, tapas style, okay? And, um, and so... Uh, today I want to bring to you a message, and I really feel like God has put something in my heart that I believe uh, will encourage you and, and hopefully impart faith to you. So let's just pray as we prepare to go to the Word today. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your Word. God, thank you that even as Nate prayed earlier, God, that it's not our work, but Lord, it's your work that makes the impact and the difference in our lives And Lord, we pray now that as we come around your word, God, we pray that you would come, Holy Spirit, breathe on it, cause it to come alive, I pray, impart faith into our hearts and help our bladders in Jesus' name, amen, amen. I want to read Luke chapter 17, uh, starting at verse 11, Luke chapter 17, verse 11, if you're taking notes today. Uh, you can title this message, The Miracle is in the Movement. The Miracle is in the Movement. And I want to look at Luke chapter 11. And uh, this is a story that may be familiar to many of us. It says this in in, uh, 1711. It says, Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village... There met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. If you have your Bible, just circle that phrase, afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them said, Uh, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice and glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. This is probably for many of us uh, not an unfamiliar passage. In fact, who's heard this story before? Uh, The majority of us in here have probably heard this story. And oftentimes when we hear this story, It's typically around Thanksgiving time, and there is a message around Thanksgiving, and we talk about how 10 lepers got healed, but only one went back to give thanks, and how 90% of people are ungrateful or don't express thanks, and you need to be the 10%, and uh, that's a good word, but that's not what I want to talk about today. I actually don't want to talk about the Thanksgiving I actually want to talk about what happened in this passage. What was it 
that took place for these 10 lepers and how did it happen? And I want to focus for just a moment on that last phrase that we read where Jesus says, arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Or another version says, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you well. The, the word there in the original language is the word sozo, which means salvation. It's the same word that the Bible uses when it says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. It's the word sozo, which literally means to be delivered, to be brought out of bondage, out of darkness, out of despair, into the goodness of God, into the life of God, into the peace of God, into this sphere where you experience everything that God has for you. That's the, the, the Bible uses the term the kingdom of God to describe that sphere. So the picture of, uh, of what is happening here is Jesus is saying, your faith has brought you out of darkness, out of this place of bondage and slavery and into the kingdom of God. It, it is salvation. Now, here's what I, I want you to understand, because I believe this is not just about the leper. I believe that God is giving us a picture uh, of the salvation that he gives to every single one of us. And, and I want you to notice that when Jesus says, your faith has made you well, or your faith has saved you, what did salvation look like in that moment? It wasn't him dying and going to heaven in that moment. Jesus wasn't saying, you have come to me, so that when you die, you will go to heaven. Now, that, that is part of salvation, but that is not the fullness of salvation. What did salvation look like in this moment? Here's what it looked like. That man got to go home to his family. That man who had been sick in his body and had been unable to work, unable to earn a living, was restored back to the dignity of work. That man who had been cut off from society, considered unclean and outside of the people of God, what did salvation look like? He was restored to, in fellowship to God's people, to his community. You see, here's what I want you to understand is that when Jesus says your faith has made you well, salvation is not just about getting you into heaven after you die. The, the grace of God is not just a minimum entry requirement to get you into heaven when you die, although that is part of it. It's much more than that about trying to get heaven into you. So why was he healed? Because in heaven there is no sickness. And he says, your faith has made you well. Here's the reason I'm talking about this is because for every single one of us, God wants us to experience the fullness of his salvation, not just when we die, but he wants us to experience it now. He wants us to experience it now. Notice what the Bible says, where this man was prior to encountering Jesus. The Bible says this, that he was afar off. 
Maybe you feel like that today. Maybe there's a longing in your heart, something that's missing, something that's broken, something that is not right. Maybe you look at something, the life that you long to have, and you feel like you're just looking at it afar off. God doesn't want you to just look at it afar off. He wants to bring you into salvation. This man experienced the restoring, the wholeness that only Jesus Christ can bring. But I want you to notice not just what he experienced, but how did he experience? How did he go from this place of being afar off to being in what Jesus would call the kingdom of God? How did it happen? The Bible says this, that it, that it was as he went. As he went. Look at what the Bible says in Verse 14, Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, as they took action, as they stepped out. You see, here's what I want you to understand today, that if we're going to enter into what God has for us, we cannot just be spiritual couch potatoes. We can't be just church potatoes. We can't be people that are just content to sit and look afar off and say, woulda, shoulda, coulda. We've got to be people that like this man, like these 10 lepers said, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go. I'm going to take some action. You see, I, I believe this, that God is not looking for people who are just, that just have the right theology, that just can give you the doctrine of healing, of wholeness, of blessing, of provision. He doesn't just want us to have the doctrine of it. He wants us to do something with it. God is looking for some spiritual go-getters. God wants spiritual go-getters. And, 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 you know, the funny thing is that oftentimes we have a go-getter attitude in all of life, except our spiritual life. We, we go get it in our work, we go get it in our uh, family, we go get it in a relationship, but when it comes to our spiritual life, aka our real life, we just sit at a distance and go, well, Lord, if it's your will, and I want you to know, you will never experience the fullness of what God has for you sitting afar off, living in the woulda, shoulda, coulda world. God is looking for some people that will get up and will go, that will have a spiritual go-getter attitude, that will have a mover mentality. That will, The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, Jesus says that the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Now, what does that mean? It's not, it's not advocating for violence. In the context here, Jesus is teaching, and there's a crowd of people that have crowded around him and are pushing into him to, to experience the life that he can bring. And he says this, he says, the kingdom of God is suffering violence. In other words, it's like a city that people are on the outside of wanting to get into, a city with gates and with walls. And they're not just sitting there going, if I could just get in. 
I wish I could get in. If someone would just let me in. It says that the kingdom suffers violence. The picture is this, that they're not sitting there waiting to be let in, that they are going to the doors. They're breaking down the doors. They're climbing over the wall. They're saying, I'm not going to let some resistance. I'm not going to let an obstacle. I'm not going to let a challenge get in my way. I have a go-get-it mentality because the miracle is in the movement. The miracle is in the movement. Maybe you're believing God for a breakthrough in your finances. I want you to know, don't just sit around and wait for him to do something. Get up and go. Get up and do something. Maybe you're believing God for healing in your body. Don't just sit around and wait for it to drop out of the sky. Get up. Go. Do something. Maybe you're believing God for wholeness and healing in a relationship or in some aspect in your life. Don't just sit around and wait for God to do something. You do something. You do something. Take action. They didn't just wait for it. They went for it. There's a lot of people that just are content to live over here in the name of just waiting on God. I'm just waiting on God. And and here's what waiting on God looks like. It's not just a passive acquiescence to passivity. Waiting on God is an active pursuit. It's like a a a military jet that is waiting to get refueled. Have you ever seen that mid-air refueling? It's amazing. But they're not just kind of saying, well, if you just kind of get it to me, then I'll receive it. There is precision. They are guiding it into position in order to receive what's available to them. And the same is true when it comes to our spiritual life, that waiting on God is not passive. It's active. It's going for it. And I believe God, if we're going to experience individually and together as a church corporately, what God has for us is not going to fall out of the sky. Some of you are like, this questions my theology. Well, uh, let me just read it to you again. As they went, as they went throughout the Bible, we see that action precedes the miracles. Peter launched out into the deep, and the fish came to him. The fish didn't just jump into the boat. He had to let down his net. What about the fish and the loaves and and, and feeding the 5,000? The Bible says that God blessed the, the food, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples to begin distributing. And when they did, there was leftover baskets of fragments. So when did the miracle happen? It didn't happen when Jesus blessed it. It happened when they took it and went with it. It happened when they took action. Many times we sit and wait on God when God is waiting on us. The miracle is in the movement. God wants us to have a spiritual go-getter attitude. Not a passive attitude, not a spiritual lazy boy recliner attitude. He wants us to have a go-getter, action-oriented attitude. Amen? And so I want to talk to you. I just want to look at this passage and give you three things that I believe are keys that we need to understand 
if we're going to receive the fullness of what God has for us. And if you're taking notes, you can just title this, How to Be a Mover. How to Be a Mover. The first thing that I want you to see, if you're going to become a, a spiritual mover, a spiritual go-getter, is number one, you need to take God at his word. Take God at his word. What did Jesus say to them? How did he heal them? He spoke to them. He said, go, show yourselves to the priest. You see, it wasn't the priest that healed them. It was Jesus. And it was through their faith responding to his word. You see, in the kingdom of God, the will of God is accomplished by the word of God. That's why it's so important that we value the word of God. That we love the word of God. Why? Because everything that God does starts with his word. The Bible says this, that everything that is seen came from that which is unseen. That everything that is came because God spoke. You see, when God speaks, it creates new things. When God speaks, it expands the universe. It expands your world. When God speaks, it sustains your life. Everything that God does happens through the word. Why is that? Because God is a king. And kings rule through their word. And so if you want the rule of God, the life of God, the fullness of God, you've got to take God at his word. Now, I want you to understand there's a difference between hearing the word of God and receiving the word of God. There, there is a big difference. Lots of you are in here now. Lots of you are hearing the word. I'm not sure how many of you are receiving. Look at your neighbor, make sure they're awake. A prerequisite for receiving generally is being awake, okay? If you want to listen to the podcast while you sleep, go for it, okay? But there is a difference. You know, you, some of you have watched uh, football games. So who, who, is football season happening now? It's getting ready to happen. Okay, I'm, I'm always on thin ice when I use athletic analogies, okay? But, you know, there is a football player who's called a receiver. And that receiver's job is to get into a place where the quarterback can get the ball to him. Have you ever noticed there's not pockets on football pants? Have you ever noticed that? Why? Because you don't receive like this. You receive like this. Right? Y'all can tell I got some skill there. Fancy footwork. You, here's what I want you to understand. Receiving is not passive. Hearing is passive. Receiving is not passive. Right? All the, all the wives said yes. Yes, there is a difference between hearing, your husband hearing, and your husband receiving what you said. Because receiving is not passive, it is active. That picture is to take hold of the Word of God. Why do I encourage you to, to write notes if you're a, a writer, or to bring your Bible if you want to jot down notes in there? It's not about the Bible, it's about receiving. Now, however you receive, 
The point isn't sit with your Bible. The point is receive. Receive. Grab hold of it like a receiver grabs hold of the ball. Regardless of how good the quarterback is, if the receiver is not ready, there is no completion. And the Bible says that if you are a hearer of the word, but you're not a doer of the word, you're like a man who looks at his face in the mirror, leaves, and forgets what kind of man he is. That's like you going to the mirror this morning, looking at your mug in the mirror and doing nothing about your condition before you came to church. I know it may surprise you, but I did something to this. I put on my glasses and some SPF face lotion. When God works, he works through his word. So if you want to receive the life of God, if you want to enter into what God has for you, you've got to take God at his word. I love what Mary said in Jesus' first miracle when he made water into wine. He was at a party and they ran out of wine. Now you may not think that's particularly spiritual, but for them at that moment it was. And Mary heard that they were out of wine and they said, Jesus, come here. And he said, my, my hour has not come. But ultimately what he was talking about is the hour that would come, not when he would just cover their party, uh, their, their fumble of the hospitality at the party and then cover their shame in that moment. He was talking about the moment that would come that he would cover the shame of all of mankind. And he says, my hour has not yet come. But have you ever noticed what Jesus' mom said to the team of waiters there he said uh, she said to them whatever he says to you do it that's good theology hey i'm going to give you a key to experiencing the life of god in every area of your life health healing provision relationships Everything. Here's the key to experiencing what God has for you. Whatever he says to you, do it. Do it. And so if we are going to receive what God has for us, we've got to be a mover. We've got to take God at his word. Not only that, number two, I want you to see that if you're going to be a mover, not only do you need to take God at his word, but you also need to take responsibility. Take responsibility. Look at what the Bible says in verse 13. It says this, that when Jesus came near, they lifted up their voices. In other words, they knew that Jesus was coming by. Apparently, they believed that he could do something about their condition. But notice that they did not just sit there and say, if it's the will of God, I will be healed. You know, there is oftentimes confusion around the, the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. To be honest, there's whole groups within the body of Christ that have split from one another because of their disagreements over this area. And, and I just want to say to you, the answer is yes. Is God sovereign? Is he in control? Is he uh, shaping our lives and leading the world around us towards his ultimate end? Yes. Does that mean that we can just sit by and be passive and inactive and, and just kind of rely on, if it's the will of God, and just do nothing? 
The answer is no. We are, God is sovereign, but we are responsible. And so as Jesus came by, they didn't say, well, he's a healer. If it's his will, he will heal me. They said, we've got to get up. Here he's coming. Here he's coming. And notice they didn't, they didn't shout or, or say, Jesus, here am I. Help me. It says they lifted up their voice. That was a very weird whisper. I'm sorry. <laughs> it says they lifted up their voice. Jesus, have mercy on us. They didn't just sit there. They took responsibility. And even at the end of it, Jesus says this, your faith has made you well. Who made them well? God made them well. How did he make them well? Through their faith that produced action. They lifted up their voice. In other words, they did what they could do. They couldn't heal themselves. Only God could heal them. They couldn't restore themselves. Only God could restore them. But what could they do? They could cry out. They could lift up their voice and cry out. You see, that's what prayer is. Oftentimes, we, we feel like, I don't even know what to do. Prayer is one of the greatest ways to engage in the will of God, to be a spiritual mover, to take hold of what God has for you, prayer is a demonstration of your faith. They cried out, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. You see, there's all kinds of prayer that the Bible talks about. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, it says this, that we should pray at all times with all kinds of prayer. There's certain kinds of prayer that you should pray at different times. If you're in praying in like a you know, I, pray, I was at Jana and Sean Welcome's housewarming party a few weeks ago, and Sean just asked me to pray, and I didn't pray like, fire, come down. You know, I was like, oh. you know, you ever had somebody that they pray, they're supposed to pray for the food, and they're like, you know, interceding for, it's like, thank you, that's a different kind of prayer, okay, that's a different category, we need the food prayer, that means quick, okay, and uh, there's all kinds of prayer, but there is one kind of prayer that, that is very important, and it's what the Bible calls the prayer of faith. That's the kind of prayer the Bible says that, that will heal the sick. The prayer of faith is a prayer that is crying out. It's a prayer that's taking hold of what God has for us. It's a prayer that cries out of the place of desperation. You see, it's oftentimes when we reach the place of desperation, when we no longer care what anybody around us thinks, that we begin to cry out that we are on the verge of entering into what God has for us. As long as we're content to kind of live over here afar off and just kind of keep our uh, decorum and keep our, you know, spiritual P's and Q's, then we often will stay there. But when we reach the place where we cry out to God, when we reach the place where we take action, you see, they, they said this, I, I don't know if God will heal me, but I know he is a healer, and I'm not going to miss out because I don't step out. I'm not going to miss out on what God has for me because I'm just sitting here. I'm going to cry out. I'm going to get the attention of God. And that's one of the greatest places of prayer when it's not just spiritual niceties, but it is engaging with the will of God. 
The, the, the Bible gives us several pictures of prayer like this. One of those was the story of Jacob at Bethel. Do you remember that story? In Genesis chapter 8, the Bible says that Jesus, uh, that, that Jacob wrestled with God. Now, I don't know what that looked like. I don't know if that's like Olympic-style wrestling. I don't know if that's WWE-style, you know, theatrics. I'm not exactly sure what kind of wrestling it was. But, but what I want you to know is that he contended with God. Jacob said this, I won't let you go until you bless me. That's some boldness. Did he have Jesus in a headlock? Bless me. Bless me. The Bible doesn't tell us, but it tells us that there was some persistence to it. Jesus tells the story in Luke 18, verse 5, of the persistent widow who had been offended or wronged or abused by her neighbor. And the Bible says this, that she got up at night and she went over to the judge's house and she began to knock on the door of the judge's house. And the Bible says this, that although the judge would not answer her because of his, uh, because of his own relationship with her, it says this, because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Here's two pictures of prayer that the Bible gives us, wrestling with God and basically harassment. <laughs> right? I mean, assault and harassment. This is the picture. If somebody showed up at your house, knocking on the door, I need something, let me in, you'd call the cops. When someone shows up knocking at God's door, God, you've got to intervene in this situation. God, go away. I'm sorry, I won't go away. You've got to move. You've got to intervene in my family. You've got to intervene in my finances. You've got to turn this situation around. We call it harassment. God calls it faith. God calls it faith. That's the picture of prayer is I just won't quit knocking. I just won't quit asking. I just won't quit. And Jesus says, that's the picture of faith. That's the picture of faith. It's a, it's a go-getter. It's not waiting and saying, well, I guess it's not your will. I'll leave. You know, there's some, sometimes our prayer is more like a spiritual ding-dong ditch. Have you ever done that? Ding-dong. Run away, right? That's sometimes how we pray. We just throw it there and we just leave it there. Rather than contending, rather than holding on to, rather than, than, than saying, I'm not going to let go until I get a breakthrough. P.T. Forsyth, a great author and writer on spiritual life, says this. It's one of my favorite quotes on prayer. He says, lose the importunity of prayer. I think we may have it for the screen. Lose the importunity. That means the urgency, that aggressive spirit of prayer. Reduce it to soliloquy with God. Lose the real conflict of will and will. Lose the habit of wrestling with God and the hope of prevailing with God. Make it mere walking with God and friendly talk and precious as that is, yet you tend to lose the reality of prayer 
at last. In principle, make it mere conversation instead of the soul's great action. Lose the food of character, the renewal of will, and you may have beautiful prayers, but, in, but as ineffectual as beauty often is. Forsyth is pulling no punches here. And fleeting, and so in the end you will lose the reality. He's saying if you make prayer just about nice formal things to God and you lose the reality that there is a contending with God, there is a taking hold of him like a, a haggler at a market, like someone that is negotiating. You do this and I'll do that. Hey, he says if you lose that, you lose the reality of what prayer actually is. And so we need to take responsibility. If we are going to see what God has for us brought to fulfillment, number one, we need to take God at his word. Number two, we need to take responsibility. And number three is this. If you want to be a mover and you want to be a spiritual go-getter, you need to just take your next step. Take your next step. Look at what the Bible says in verse 14. It says, as they went, they were cleansed. As they went to the priests, they were cleansed. Now, if you understand why Jesus would send them to the priest, you would go to the priest if someone had been sick or ceremonially unclean in that culture. You would go to the priest once you had been healed, once you had been cleansed. Now, their goal was not to go to the priest. Their goal was to go home to their families. But they were not yet cleansed. They could not yet go home. So what could they do? They could go to the priest. And they actually couldn't even go to the priest because they had not yet been healed. But what could they do? They could just take that next step. And then what could they do after that? They could just take the next step. And the Bible doesn't tell us on what step they got healed, but it does tell us this, that as they went, as they just took the next step, that God showed up. You see, here's what I want you to understand, is that oftentimes we look for big leaps of faith and we ignore small steps of obedience. We look for big Leaps of faith. God, if you do this, if you just work that miracle, I'll jump into that. We want to leap into it. But what about just the small steps of faith? What about just saying, God, I'll just do what I can do today. I'll be faithful with what you've given me today. You see, faith in a big God is demonstrated through small steps of obedience. Small steps of obedience. And I know Oftentimes, even as we hear this thought about taking action, for some of us, our, our theology struggles with this because we have, we have uh, been so um, inoculated, I think that's the right word, we've been, uh, we, we've been put off from anything that would have works orientation to it, that, that we somehow forget that God actually uses works. You see, there is a difference, and I want you to understand this. There is a difference between earning and effort. Everything we have from God comes by grace. It's his goodness. It's a gift. 
It's not because you've earned it or you've deserved it. They didn't earn their healing. You can't earn anything that God gives to us. But there is a difference between earning and effort. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors, says this, Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Grace, you know, does not just have to do with the forgiveness of sins alone. What's he saying? He's saying that grace empowers us to take action. Grace doesn't excuse us from action. It, requ- it empowers us to take action. You see, a, a follower of Jesus, a Christian, burns more grace than a non-Christian. You see, a, a non-Christian has the opportunity of grace to see the transformation in their life to be born again. But for a follower of Jesus, it's not just for the beginning, but it is a life of grace. And so he gives us the power to do what we could not do on our own. It is not through our earning, but it is through our effort. The Bible says that we are saved by grace alone through faith and that not of ourselves, for it is the gift of God. Everybody say gift. But the very next verse, Paul says this, that he has saved you for good works, which God has prepared for you in advance, that you should walk in them. And so if you want to experience the power of God, you've got to just be faithful to take the next step in front of you. You can't work the miracle, but you can take the step. If you remember the story of Jesus turning water into wine, those guys that he called, they couldn't turn water into wine, but what could they do? They could fill the pots. They could fill the pots. They could just prepare. They could do what they could do. The disciples who multiplied the fish and the loaves, they couldn't multiply the fish and the loaves, but what could could they do? They could break a little piece off and give it to that person and break a little bit off and give it to that person and break a little bit off and give it to that person. Do you remember the story of the man whose hand was withered? And Jesus said, stretch out your hand. It was the very thing that he could not do that God asked him to do. Why? Because as he stretched out his hand, as he did what he could do, God did what he could not do. And I want you to understand for every single one of us what God is asking us to do. He's not asking us to turn water into wine. He's just asking us to fill the pots. He's not asking us to heal ourselves. He's just asking us to take a step. He's not asking us to to save our, our neighbor. He's just asking us to knock on the door. Just take the next step. But here's where we often go off course as we develop this, if you do, then I will mentality. And I'm going to wrap up here quickly. I'm out of town the next couple of weeks, so you'll have shorter messages, okay? We develop the if you do, then I will mentality. And here's what it sounds like. It sounds like this. If you, we say this to God, if you, then I will. If you insert a miracle, then I will insert obedience. You know what I'm saying? If you will increase my income, then I will be generous. If you will get me a bigger house, then I will be hospitable. If you provide the money, then I'll go on the missions trip. 
If you give me the promotion, then I'll share my faith with my coworkers. If you change my spouse, then I will love them and respect them. If you do this, then I will do this. And Jesus flips it around. He doesn't say, I will so that you can. He says this, if you will, then I will. If you insert obedience, then I will insert miracle. Does that make sense? You're seeing a little blank with me. I've got it in my notes. I know you're not seeing it, but what he's saying is you take action. It's through the small steps of obedience that we release the power of God. These guys couldn't heal themselves, but what they could do is just stand up, just take the next step. And I believe God's calling us today to be a church that is not passive in the name of patience, but there would be people who would have a spiritual go-getter mentality that would say, I'm going to step in, God, I know I can't do it in my own strength, but God, I thank you that when, you're, that when I'm weak, your strength is made perfect. Amen? I want to ask you, if you would, just to stand to your feet. Worship team, you can come back.